0: We've been working in a series where we've looked at the attributes of the gospel. What is it uh, about the gospel that can be reflected in us? And we kind of honed in on the verse in 1 Corinthians 13, which kind of gives this overriding revelation that faith, hope, and love are really the signature of a believer, And therefore, it makes them the signature of the gospel, the expression of the gospel in a way that can be realized. And so we began to look at each one of these and to see what do they really bring to the table and how very often these terms uh, have been watered down in our thinking. The idea of hope, we began with that, is more than a feeling. It's more than just something that... um, we would like something. It's more than just wishing something. But this, the scripture declares that there is an absolute important power in the reality of hope in every believer. And it describes it like this, that hope has the, the power to believe things will happen. It has that power to, to see substance behind the future. And that expectation and hope and trust and confidence, all of these are kind of words tied together. They're they're part of what's driving us that's tied together. And in Hebrews, we see the language where it says, hope is an anchor for the soul and it's anchored to the very throne of God. That means that hope is anchored beyond this life, beyond our health, beyond our our success, our failure, our relationships, our hopes, our dreams. It is actually anchored to the throne of God. And that's why it has the power to hold us on course. Hope has the power to hold a course line against all enemies, against all distractions. Hope can hold you. And I almost see it with you're tethered to the kingdom. You may swing this way or that way. But the reality is the kingdom still has the power to draw us forward in life. <clears throat> and hope provides purpose and destiny for every soul. So hope has that kind of power. It's that important. And people who are hopeless, societies that are hopeless, communities that are hopeless, you can see it. You can feel it. And when people are hopeful and societies are hopeful, you can see it. You can feel it. And it changes everything. And then we looked at faith. And we kind of see this faith as the action toward the future. It's the trust that that action toward the future and the goal is real, and it's powerful, and it produces. It is action that produces. And we see that the fruit of the direction is found in the trust. So this trust is what faith is. It's believing in something enough that we will act upon it. It's trusting something enough, I will act upon it. And so when I act upon these things, and, I, and we kind of use this language of if hope is the rope that anchors us to, uh, to the throne of God, faith is that part where we're pulling on that rope, knowing that where this is going bears the fruit and the life that God intended. Not just for us, but everybody who sees us. And it steps into the very risk of God. It steps into the unknown. It steps into the places where you just have to know where that rope goes. You have to believe where that rope goes. And finally, we looked at love last week. That love is revealed in God. And it says this faith, hope, and love are the greatest. And we looked at just how powerful this thing that that love is. And I shared that um, we... Often use these verses from 1 Corinthians 13 in weddings. But it doesn't have anything to do with the wedding. It has to do with who the people of God are. It's an attribute of every believer to see these things. And what we begin to see is love is described in this powerful way that gives motivation and substance to faith and hope. Here's what love does. It it has the power, the capability. Always trusts, always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. It never fails. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. Do you hear, hear now? God is now saying, what's the most important is the motive and the heart issue behind your faith and your hope. Doesn't record wrongs. You can see forgiveness in here. You can see grace in here. You can see mercy in here. All these words that are associated with the persona and the character of God are now declared to be a part and the most important part of every believer's story. Every believer, this is their story. <clears throat> last week I, I kind of summed this up is that this love becomes the evidence of the reality of God. It becomes the very evidence. I'm not saying that. God is saying that. God is saying when people experience these things, when they experience forgiveness, instead of judgment, when they, when they experience uh, somebody honoring them instead of dishonoring them, when people experience this, they will have actual evidence of the existence of God. So these attributes of the kingdom, these, these attributes of God... They indeed provide a stage for the evidence for every life in every day. I want you to get that part. They provide the stage. These elements are what provide the stage. It's not hardship. It's not benevolence. It's not money. It's these things that are going to provide the stage every day for people to see the existence of God. That's why... What has to produce that revelation for people is two things, the Holy Spirit and God's people. That's what produces the evidence of God. Those two things. It won't be a sunset. It won't be a sunrise. They are evidence of God, but they won't bring that reality home. That is the role of God's people and the Holy Spirit. Hope, faith, and love. The scripture declares these will provide the stage. And the idea that our lives should invoke questions about our beliefs and our thinkings and what motivates us. Do you know, have you ever heard in people how important the role of motivation is for you? I mean, when somebody says, Hey, you know, they gave a lot of money to this or that. Oh, it's a write-off for him. You hear how they totally dismissed the action because they challenged the motive? You know, that happens all the time. Rich people do something. Well, they got the money. That's no big deal for them. Their bar bill is that much money every month. We, We care about motive. One of you guys, you know, stop on the side of the road and help a girl and she says, Did you stop and help me because I'm pretty? No. You see, what motivates us is indeed important in the world takes note of motivation. The world cares more than it acts like about motivation. You see how God pierces the heart of that reality. Because in the heart of every person, God has placed this reality that motive is central and core to our identity. We have to care about what motivates us. You see, that rope going towards the kingdom of God, going toward the throne, it's all about what's motivating God to get you home, to get me home. God is all about the motivation. He's all about the agenda. In fact, the language is strong enough in 1 Corinthians. It says that like this, you know, you can, you can feed everybody who's, Who's hungry? You can take care of all the poor. You can do amazing things. You can go to Mars and back. You can solve all the riddles of the world. But if your motive sucks, then it won't count. God is about the motive because He is motive, He is love. He is love. To suggest that motive isn't paramount. It's to say God isn't paramount. See, the scripture says, and I stole this line because I like it. We're really called to live questionable lives. When the scripture says, have an answer for your hope, When people ask you, have an answer for your hope. We should be living very questionable lives. If anything, your life should invoke questions. I don't understand you. I don't get you. I can't seem to track your motivation here. Well, that's great. I'm doing my job. I'm a questionable soul. You see, that's the life we are to be living is a questionable life. Because if your life is rooted in and exhibiting faith, hope, and love, every day will look questionable to the world. They won't be able to track you. There's a, there's a saying Uh, It's it's an old communication saying. It says, when predictability is high, impact is low. And and what that's saying is, when the audience thinks they know what you're going to say, it really reduces the impact. It's just true. You know, when you see a movie and you're watching it, oh, you know what, he's the bad guy and, you know, he really did this. And you get, oh, I knew that. At the end, oh, I knew that. You, you hear people do that, and you can tell it took something away from the movie for them. It had low impact. We might even say, oh, it's predictable. Do you know that people are predictable? We predict, we're, we, we talk about the predictability of people. Oh, you can't leave your doors unlocked around here you can't do this, you can't say that. But you see, the people of God should be unpredictable. We should have questionable lives. I I think the church struggles a great deal with being questionable. And I think It's interesting, there are books in the last 20 years, many, many books written on the church either becoming relevant or being relevant. And that's saying uh, that the church, we have to get the church where it matters in the world. Here's kind of what that's saying. You know, we have to recreate our church so that it actually makes a difference in the world. You hear how it Sounds wrong already. Something is wrong with something. If that statement is true, and you look around the the world and the church does good things, the church has some good things, and we we look at a church and say, "Well, what is that church doing?" That's relevant. Well, they've got a feeding program and they've got a a program for single moms and they've got this and they've got that and they've got this and that. And the rec center has some of those things and the YMCA has some of those things. Lots of organizations have some of those things. In fact, if your church doesn't have those things, that actually raises more questionable things about your church than having those things does. Does that make sense? Oh, well, you don't have a feeding program? You don't have, you know, clothes for the poor? What kind of church are you? At least they're asking a question. Mike Frost, he's the author of a book um, on the missional church, says it like this. One of the primary acts of evangelistic believers is the arousal of curiosity among unbelievers. Leading to questions and faith-sharing. Acts of philanthropy, that means giving your money away, acts of philanthropy by Christians today are relatively commonplace. I would add, philanthropy by many people, especially non-Christians, is commonplace. They don't surprise the world. If we hear that a Christian business owner has donated money to a cause, or that a church has opened a feeding program or a hospice, we aren't intrigued just sounds like work. Such things are expected. He says, I'm not suggesting Christian philanthropy shouldn't continue as an expression of grace offered to us in Christ, but it doesn't invoke questions the way it might have in the fourth century. When we say we want to be a first century church, I've heard that much in my life. I've even used that language before. But the truth is, we're not in the fourth century or the first century. We're in this century. And the truth is, God, through the Holy Spirit, is doing stuff in this century with these people in this time. And a feeding program meant something very different than it does today. You see, in the fourth century, when they were crossing lines and they were honoring women, when they were feeding the poor and the disenfranchised, when they were not using socioeconomic or ethnic barriers to isolate people, you hear how different that sounded then? That was questionable, that was radical. That was different. I get, I've gotten asked several times, just a, a number of the comments I make about ISIS or, you know, the, the, the things going on in our world, the struggles going on even with uh, the election and those processes. And I get asked, why do you talk about those things so much? Here's why I talk about those things. It's because those things are sneaking into your yard. Those are the things where the world is operating in its reality. And that makes it your world too. And that makes it my world. And it's the stage where we will be the people of God. It's not about who you voted for. It's about what God is doing right now. It's not about who you didn't vote for, but it's what the Father is doing right now and how he will take advantage of this for his glory. Whatever this is, I don't care, but it's your season. And the way the church is relevant today is it walks out a questionable life with the Holy Spirit that commands people to ask a question. That is what makes the church relevant today. That's what makes us a part of a greater story where God is impacting the world. He says, We can continue those things, but they don't invoke questions the way they might have in the fourth century. He says, Neither does living a fine, upstanding, middle class lifestyle in the suburbs. He says, I'm not saying we're not to live that life or that way. I'm saying, Trying to live a questionable life will not be cutting your lawn, saying hi to your neighbor, washing your car, walking your dog, and driving to the office every day would not be an intriguing lifestyle. And what we see in the scripture is there's an inner spirituality that is connected to that outward action. And that link is much greater than we often give credit for. That to be an intriguing person living a questionable life in an everyday world will require that we have substance in our inner life that is behind and supporting the actions of our life. Do we have that video available? I have a video. This was actually not even sent to me. It was sort of sent to me, but it's sent to Melinda. I liked it, and it was sent by somebody in our church. So it, I don't think it really needs a setup. In James chapter two, verses eighteen and nineteen we hear this contrast drawn in. He says, Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have deeds. You hear what that sounds like? But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Now, I want to translate this word faith for you. When it talks about faith it's not just believing to take a risk but it is substance behind who the person is and he's saying my life you will you will understand what's questionable you will see the questionable part of me because of who i am and how i live you will see it and he cried, and he left. He said, "I just can't believe this is happening." And he left. If, if I had not, if my ascension had not been late, I would, I would not have, I would have missed this completely. I would have missed this opportunity. And don't, do anyone to ever tell me. Yeah. We go home now. You see, his words were, I can't believe you're doing this. That's the questionable lifestyle. That's the intrigue. I can't believe this is happening. He's an everyday lady working at a, I don't know, a Dollar General or something. But you see, she was able to be questionable. She was able to be questionable in an everyday life. And not only that, a person who says she's not even a religious person somehow saw this as evidence of God. She didn't even get the gift. In fact, she had to give the gift. But in her heart, that's what she said, in my heart, this was the evidence that there was a God. Do you hear how God works? Do you see it now? And so in this case, the man experiences the evidence of God. She has experienced the evidence of God. Why? Because people participated in the reality of faith, hope, and love. And it changed lives. That's the power of it. And this is why James thinks it's so important to say, you can't be a people of faith if you're not this have you ever seen a rose bush that's all kind of dilapidated and, and it has no roses on it and it's got dead stuff all over it? You look at it, do you, th- you kind of go, wow, I'm sure that's a happy rose bush. It hasn't got to produce any roses It doesn't have to make any roses. It just sits there and pulls stuff out of the soil and takes in rain and sunshine. Or do you want to reach forward and clip the dead stuff off of it and maybe give it some kind of nutrition? And when you see, oh, wow, there's roses coming off of it, you go, wow, this is great. This was successful. It's been healed. Its destiny is now happening before my eyes. That's you. That's me. You see, when we begin to bear the fruit, it is our destiny being revealed. So James is saying because it's part of who you are, the evidence becomes a part of your existence a part of your future, your destiny, your purpose. That's why they become important. That's why when you do something like this, it feeds your soul. And you know it's right. And it becomes the evidence of God. There's a missiologist. If you don't know who that is, that's somebody that studies mission. Or if you don't know what that is. He had these three statements I, I garnered. Um, mission, and when he's talking about mission, he's talking about the people of God's effect on the world. And he's writing it in a context of cross-cultural missions, but it's all the same. People influencing and affecting the world on behalf of God. Mission is more than a different uh, form of recruitment for, uh, for our brand of religion is alerting people to the universal reign of God through Christ. It's not about recruiting for our team, it's about alerting the world of the reality of God through Christ. Mission is not primarily concerned with church growth. It is primarily concerned with the reign and the rule of God. And I would say being revealed. Missional habits are not just strategic. They are consequential. That means they are result. Result. Because the universal reign of God through Christ, we bless our tables, we listen for the Spirit, we learn Christ, and we are sent out on this evangelistic task. We are open and available to the world. And because we are a people who forgive and who don't take into account wrongs committed, who can persevere, who can believe, who can trust. Because we are motivated by things that are not taking advantage of others. You see, we are on a stage that is set to produce the evidence of God. And to set people free. this is who we are. This is our story unfolding. And when we embrace that identity that we are a people of faith, hope, and love, you will be very relevant in your world. I will be very relevant in my world. And the world... Is the one who decides whether we are relevant. Not me, not you, not a book. It's the world. When their lives are upended or changed, and when somebody is saying, Why did you do that? and it's a positive thing, then the world has taken notice of God. And the roses are blooming. If you would stand.